I know it's a very familiar story, but even so, I invite you to take your pew Bible out again if you've put it away, or if you didn't open it in the first place, if you're the type of person who normally doesn't open the Bible, even you, I invite you just to open that up and take a look with me. It's a familiar story, but it's also rich. It is full of wonderful and amazing truths I want us to look at together this morning. It's page 1090. It's Luke chapter 2 beginning with the eighth verse. When I read this story, familiar as it is, I see one of the clearest pictures, one of the clearest depictions of the gospel. The gospel. Do you know what that word means, gospel? It simply means the good news. The angel declared it right from the beginning. He said, behold, I bring you good news. Now, Luke was written in Greek, and the Greek word that's used there is evangelizo. It's where we get our word evangelize. It simply means good news or the gospel. All four of those words mean the exact same thing. Evangelize, bringing the good news, telling the gospel. Now, just to illustrate to you how much this phrase means to me, I want to show you something, and, and I have to warn you, what you're about to see is astonishingly cute, Okay. Uh, go ahead. This is my daughter. And uh, her name is Evangeline, which means the good news. And I like to tell people that her name is the shortest sermon I've ever written because the good news brings joy to the heart. And that really is the basic message of Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, isn't it? The good news brings joy to the heart. We learn three things. We're going to look at three things in this text about the gospel. Three things, three truths about the gospel. The angel declares all of them in verse 10 when the angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. We learn three things about the gospel there. It is good news. It is of great joy. And it is for all people. The gospel is good news. What do we mean by that, that the gospel is good news? Our faith, the Christian faith, is primarily, it's firstly, the proclamation of good news. Many people will have you believe that Christianity is primarily a feeling. Others will say it's primarily a force. Still others try to make Christianity primarily into a set of rituals and rules. In other words, a religion. But actually, firstly, uh, primarily, Christianity is the proclamation, the telling of good news. And what is uh, proclamation of good news? What is that? It's just the reporting of events which have happened in human history. That's what good news proclaiming is. It's just telling of events which happened in human history. And it's far more compelling than a force or a feeling or even a religion. What is the good news of the gospel? The angel gives us that as well in verse 11. Go ahead and look with me. Here is the news, the reporting of actual events. You notice the specificity when we read this together. Verse 11, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's a proclamation. It's the reporting of events which have happened. What is the event which happened? There's a a baby who's been born. It's not just any baby. It's the Savior and it's the Lord. In other words, the good news is that God has come from heaven to earth in the form of a person to save us, 
and to be our Lord, to save us and to reign over us. And it's the proclamation of good news that changes people. It's what changes the world. Let me just illustrate what I mean by that, that good news changes people and it changes the world more than even a force, more than a feeling, more even than a religion. Come with me to Times Square, August 14, 1945. It's a normal day in New York City. People are going about their day when suddenly, in an instant, everybody changes their behavior. They go from walking and going about a normal day suddenly to running and leaping and shouting, and clapping, and hugging, and kissing. One soldier is standing there, and he he sees the next beautiful woman who's next to him, and he grabs her, he scoops her up, and he kisses her on the mouth. You've all seen the famous photograph from the cover of Life magazine. So what happened? Why did all those people suddenly change their behavior, going from a normal day to leaping with joy? They heard the good news. The good news, it was written on the billboards and on the tickers of Times Square. Three simple words, war is over. And they leapt with joy. The proclamation of good news changes people. Much more than, let's just pretend there were no billboards, there were no tickers. Instead, there was people handing out pamphlets that morning to everybody who walked by. And the pamphlet had some instructions on it. And the instruction said, okay, at 10.29 a.m., if you happen to be in Times Square, go nuts. (laughs) People would be like, what are you talking about? Why would I do that, right? So you see, instruction, even instruction, is far less compelling than the proclamation of good news. It changes people's behavior. It was the same thing for the shepherds. There was no uh, billboard But there were angels that God opened up. It's like God pulled back the veil between heaven and earth and he displayed a sign. He gave a message. He proclaimed the gospel through the mouths of those angels to the shepherds. And let's look now together at how that hearing of the gospel, hearing of the good news, changed the shepherds' behavior. Come with me, verse 15 and following. They've just heard the good news. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now again, imagine if somebody instead had come up to the shepherds with some instructions saying, okay guys, I want you to leave your sheep and I want you to go over that village over there. The shepherds would have said, are you crazy? We're not going to do that. Instead, they proclaimed, the angels proclaimed the good news and it changed their behavior. They leapt, they ran with haste. They they saw that the events which were being reported on were true. Then they went and told other people. And they went and told other people. The the angels that night, they didn't just declare the good news. It's like they lit a match and they threw it into an open field. And they ignited a wildfire that went global. And to this day, that wildfire has remained uncontained. Because those shepherds heard the good news and they told some people. And they went and told some other people. And they went and told some other people and on and on until one day somebody told me. And now I'm standing before you telling you. And the wildfire continues to go. No matter how many people have tried to snuff out the gospel. They've tried to put out the fire. It rages on in the hearts of man. 
Praise be to God that the gospel has not died. It goes on to this day. It advances in God's earth. Now, oftentimes when people hear this truth about our faith, about Christianity, that it's primarily the proclamation of good news about a Savior and about a Lord, sometimes at this point they have a a challenge question. Sometimes it's cynically asked. Sometimes it's just asked honestly. And they say, if it's true that you have to hear the good news, then what about those people in the tribe in Africa or the village in China who never hear the good news? What about them? And the reality is, the answer, one of the ways of answering that question is to say, you know, in places like Africa and China, the wildfire is spreading pretty rapidly. The gospel is going forth in those places. A better cynical question would be, what about your neighbor or your coworker here in the Northeast in the United States who hasn't heard the good news? And the answer to that question is you should probably go and tell them. After all, somebody told you the good news. If you know of somebody who doesn't know the good news, why wouldn't you tell them? After all, the gospel is good news, but it is also of great joy. The gospel is of great joy. And why is there joy? I think that there's joy in the gospel because there's peace in the gospel. And joy is a spontaneous fruit of peace. Think about those people in Times Square. They heard the good news. War is over. That means peace is here. And look at their spontaneous response. It was joy. Imagine if we had true peace, what joy we would have. There's not much joy in the trenches of warfare, but there is joy when peace is announced. The gospel is of great joy. Now again, when people hear this, when they hear these truths about our faith, at this point, they have a skeptical question. And I've heard it from a Jewish friend of mine. He said, if it's true that Jesus was the Messiah and that the angels declared there would now be peace on earth, we read that in verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, then why are there still wars? Why is it that when the Messiah, if he's the Messiah, had come proclaiming peace, why are there still wars? It's actually a good question, right? And the answer to it is that Jesus came to end a much bigger war than just the wars between nations. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. He he came to end a war that's much bigger than that, but also a war that's much more personal to each one of us. A war that exists within our hearts. Listen to this first century philosopher. He's a pagan philosopher, a Greek Stoic. He He understood something about the peace that Jesus would bring, even though he never heard the good news. I wish he had. Here's what a man named Epictetus wrote, a first century philosopher. He said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he's unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. You see, Jesus didn't come as a general to come and stop some war to become victorious from one nation to become victorious over another nation. Jesus came not as a general, but as a savior. He came to end the biggest war of all. Jesus came to put an end to the war between humanity and God. Did you know that there was a war between humanity and God? 
It began the day Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and chose sin over obedience to God. It's a war where all the weapons, all the missiles have been launched from humanity to God. And Jesus came to put an end to that war. How would he do it? Well, he knew that after all those thousands of years of all the bullets and all the missiles and all the sins and all the rebellion of creation against its creator, he knew that it was time for retaliation. He knew that it was time to come and end it. So Jesus came to take all the retaliation from the other side, all the retaliation from God the Father upon himself so that we would be spared. And when he died on the cross, he was receiving the wrath of God that we all deserved for the war that we had waged against God. He said, it is finished. In other words, war is over. Jesus ended the war between humanity and God. He came to bring peace. And in the peace, we have spontaneous joy. The gospel is good news. It's of great joy. And it's for all people. Listen to what the angels say in verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now think about this war that humanity had been waging against God since the beginning of humanity. Here's what this text could have said. Here's what God could have pulled the veil between heaven and earth back to declare through the angels. He could have said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, destruction among those who are the objects of his wrath. But they didn't say that. Now, many of us grew up hearing this translation, something like on earth, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But in the ESV, which you have in your laps right now, it says peace on earth uh, among those with whom he is pleased. Those are two different translations. So what's going on there? It's kind of hard to figure out in the Greek. And I studied it this week. And one of my favorite Bible scholars, F.F. Bruce, he said he thinks it really should go something like this. Now, just, just let this sink in. It really should be translated like this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men who are the objects of God's good pleasure. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men and women, to everybody who are the objects of his good pleasure. He could have said, glory to God in the highest and on earth destruction for you're the objects of my wrath. The angels could have peeled back that veil between heaven and earth and said, God is coming and you're in so much trouble. <laughs> but instead, the gospel is that God was coming to save, not to condemn, to redeem, not to destroy, to reign over in his love because of no merit of our own, but because of his good pleasure. He's come to save us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why it's of great joy. We can hardly even believe it. It's so good. I know that we can hardly believe it. I know that people have a hard time actually letting this sink in, actually letting the coin drop on the gospel. I know that that's true because this time of year when it's our time to celebrate and remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that he's ended the war, that he's given us forgiveness of sins instead of destruction and condemnation, right around this time of year when it's time to remember that, we invent a new narrative that we think is probably true. 
Or this white bearded man comes from the heavens and he gives us exactly what we deserve. He's been watching who's naughty, who's nice. He's got his little elf on the shelf as eyes and ears in the home. Now I bring this up, not just to pick on those of you who do elf on the shelf and not to pick on those of you who still believe in Santa, but because I think it's illustrative of a deeper truth in all of us that we can hardly believe. We think the way the universe works is that it's tit for tat. It's you get what you deserve. It's eye for an eye. We don't really believe the gospel, that we haven't received what we deserve. Instead, we've received eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we think Santa, an elf on the shelf, is a good way to motivate children. But actually, it's not. The gospel is how you motivate children. You tell them that you don't get what you deserve in Jesus Christ, that we've been redeemed and saved and given eternal life in him through no merit of our, of our own, but because simply we are the objects of God's good pleasure. Amen. I learned after the first service that after World War II, there were some fighters in places in Asia who never heard the news that the war was over. They kept on fighting until the 1960s. They never heard the news. Isn't that an amazing illustration for how some of us live our lives? We're still waging war against God. We're still waging war against one another. Why? Because we haven't heard the gospel. We haven't heard the good news. War is over. It is finished. Jesus has come to end the war and bring peace between us and God. Somebody say hallelujah to that. Amen. So here's the takeaway. Stop fighting the war. Hear the good news. Hear the gospel. Live in light of the gospel. Let it change your life like it changed those shepherds' lives. And then go run through the streets. Shout it from the rooftops. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ was born. Hear the gospel. Live the gospel. And then proclaim the gospel. Amen.